Have you ever had an experience in your life that was less than satisfactory? <laughs> if you're on social media, that's often what you see is just less than satisfactory experiences as people go places or purchase things. You go to an online website, you're going to purchase something, you read the reviews and you check both the five-star reviews and the one-star reviews. And the one-star reviews are often pretty painful because we don't want to have less than satisfactory experiences, but they do happen. I remember when uh, my family and I first moved here into Rochester uh, back in 2014. Uh, my mom came down from Canada to visit us, and that was back in a time when you could travel across the border and visit other countries. She came around the time of her birthday, and so we wanted to take her out someplace, but we didn't know specifically uh, a good restaurant that we could take her that wasn't a chain national place, but was a more local phenomena. So we asked a number of people, and a lot of people said, well, if you haven't been here yet, go to this place. It has some really great food, so go check that place out. Go be a part of that, and we said, sure, we'll, we'll try that out, and we went by. And from the very moment we walked in the restaurant, it was a less than satisfactory experience. It was a, it was a letdown. We, we got in and we had to wait for, for 15, 20 minutes, even though there were tables that were clearly open. They were understaffed on a Friday night. And we got our food. And the food was, was watery, like it had been frozen and kept in a freezer somewhere and then just taken out and microwaved so it had all sorts of excess moisture in it. It was, it was bland. It wasn't fresh like we had been told to expect. Even the table and chairs were let down because they wobbled like we were in some kind of really bargain basement breakfast diner. It was an awful experience. And I tell you, to be honest, my family and I, we haven't been back to this restaurant since. It's awful when we have less than satisfactory experiences because we don't often return. And sometimes that happens to people when they're thinking about the claims of Jesus as the Son of God. Sometimes the challenge of, of putting your faith in Jesus, of, of believing in him, following him, gets affected because of a less than satisfactory experience with him. You know, that shows up in the, the macro sense. One of the things that shows up in a book on apologetics about proving the claims of Jesus is where is God in the light of all that's happening in the world? In other words, how can God exist when there's so much pain and there's so much suffering and there's so much evil and there's so many natural disasters in the world, if God really was all-powerful and all-loving, he would do something about that. So those questions exist out in the world and they become pieces of conversations from those who just say, I can't put my faith in a God like that. I can't put my faith in this Jesus. If he is either... It seems like he's either unable or unwilling or uncaring to do anything about these things. And I just don't want to put my faith in a, in a God like that. And people have those questions no matter what era they live in history. As one of the challenges is that if God, if Jesus really is all-powerful, all-caring, all-loving, then why doesn't he do something about the problems of the world? But it's not just out there in the world that we experience this kind of crisis. It's, 
in our world, it becomes personal in the micro level of our own pain, our own suffering, our own problems. Why doesn't Jesus do something about this? If he's all-powerful, if he's all-caring, uh, if he's loving, why doesn't he do something about my pain? Even long-time Christians can struggle with those moments with Jesus that just seem less than satisfactory. One of those challenges arises when we pray, and it doesn't seem like we get the answer that we hoped for. I remember when I was uh, first in ministry, I had just resigned being pastor of children and youth at a, at a large church, 300 people coming on a regular day. The church was continuing to grow, and I resigned looking for a, a senior pastor position. I felt that God had called me to, to preach, and I wanted to preach more regularly to the whole congregation. And so I started looking for a church, and I put my resume everywhere. I put my resume in churches where we lived. I put my resume in different provinces or states. You get the idea? And, you know, even to the West Coast, I put my resume everywhere. And I just heard nothing back. And there were times as the weeks turned into months, turned into years, that I wondered, God, how come you're not answering this prayer? You clearly have something for me. Where is it? And maybe you've prayed prayed prayers like that as well where you've prayed for Jesus to give you that job that promotion that raise but it didn't happen you prayed for maybe a friend who was sick or maybe you prayed when you were sick and it wasn't answered so what do you do in every person's life, in the question of following Jesus, there are moments that seem less than satisfactory. And it makes us wonder, can we trust Jesus with everything in order to follow him? You remember last time we looked at the Gospel of Mark together, we saw that there were some disciples uh, or a couple times ago when we looked at this, we saw that there were some disciples who left everything, and that's what Jesus is looking for, to us to prioritize him first, to trust him with everything. Can we? If you've ever wondered if you can, if you've ever had something that feels like a less than satisfactory experience when it comes to following Jesus, then you're not alone. And the good news is we can find out the answer together. If you have a Bible with you, turn with me in them to Mark chapter 1 and take a look at verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him, Jesus, and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. <laughs> willing. <laughs> he reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean and immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning see that you don't tell this to anyone but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that moses commanded for your cleansing 
as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. And as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. This is the the Jesus we want. We want the Jesus who comes to us and says, I am willing. How do you think I'm not willing? And says, just by speaking, you are healed, you are cleaned. This this is an impressive miracle because this man would have been uh, given some kind of sort of category disease called leprosy. It may have been actual leprosy. It could have been some other form of uh, contagious skin disease, but it would have been something that would have meant that he would have had to separate himself from the community, separate himself from family and fellowship with neighbors and friends. And so this was troubling, and he wanted to be clean. He wanted to get back into society. We understand that feeling even more so today. And Jesus does what is impossible Jesus does what is uh, incorrect. He touches the man. He does something that's outside of social norms. Reaches out, touches the man, and says, be clean. Shows incredible power. But he also gives him a request. He says, don't tell anyone. He was insistent on this. He gave him a strong warning, Scripture says. Don't tell anyone, but instead... Go to the priest, have him declared that you are clean, and make the sacrifices that Moses has commanded you to make. Now, the man ran off, and I I think I understand that. I think I'd be pretty excited to say, look at me, I'm clean, look at me, I can come back, look at me, check me out, I'm home. I just kind of skip that. But it seems to lead to the kind of Jesus that we see in our lives today. We see The kind of Jesus that, well, it might have been a less than satisfactory experience of who Jesus is. We read in chapter 2, verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus does something that I think is completely unexpected. I think these men brought him to Jesus thinking that if we can just get him close, he would say, son, you're healed. Just like he had just done with the leper. But it seems like Jesus has changed his ministry. That people aren't listening to his message. And so now the the ministry of healing is now different. Not quite what he expected. Not quite what they expected, I should say. And this isn't what we expect Jesus to do. We want the Jesus who is indignant at us to say, if you're willing, no, of course I'm willing. I'm always willing. I'm always ready to help you with your physical needs. We want that Jesus. 
But Jesus seems to change ministry tactics here and say, son, your sins are forgiven. And that seems less than satisfactory. And as a matter of fact, it's actually offensive to some people. Some people are offended because of what he was claiming. Verse 6 tells us that now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? To say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. There are some teachers of the law in the room and they're listening to Jesus and this proclamation is just too far. This proclamation, in spite of everything that Jesus has done with his power demonstrated over the demon-possessed man and the power demonstrated over sickness, leprosy in just the previous scene, and yet now he's gone too far. Only God can forgive sins. And they're right. But they didn't take it logically further to say, so could it be that this man might be God? And Jesus says, I don't know why you think these things. Which is easier? When Jesus says this, you have to remember what we know about paralysis today. Even today, no one has been healed of paralysis. We are still unable medically to regenerate the spine. As of 2019, the Mayo Clinic, one of the top medical facilities and research uh, organizations in the world, is seeing promising results with things like stem cell research, but we still cannot fully regenerate the spine. And Jesus, with the power of his word, says, Get up, take up your mat and go home, which is exactly like the God of the universe saying before there was a universe, let there be, and it was. Let there be light, and it was. Let there be sky and earth. Let there be separation. Let there be water. Let there be life. Let there be vegetation, and it was. It appeared. It came to be simply by speaking. That same power regenerating a man's spine. That is amazing. It is overwhelming. It is mind-blowing. Someone that could not walk would suddenly get up and know how to walk, curl up his mat, and go home. Amazing. And Jesus says, if you think that's impressive, then consider the spiritual implications. Because if I have power to do the physically impossible, then I certainly have power to do the spiritually impossible. 
And Jesus is saying something that we think is kind of, you know, simple and maybe a little bit of a letdown, but think of what Jesus has just done. He has said that a man's sins are forgiven, that he has now been restored with God. And that is a far, far, far bigger miracle than the regeneration of a spine. The problem is that we have a, well, we have a very poor view, a limited view of eternity. We're a live in the now moment. We live in an instant on, binge it now, download that information, make that transfer, get that purchase, get it delivered yesterday, culture and society. We want everything and we want it right now. And we can have a lot of it right now. But that prevents us from seeing the future. I mean, consider the fact that so many Americans, statistics tell us that so many Americans don't have anything saved for their eventual retirement, for a day that they cannot work. And yet that day's coming. Extend that to the preparation that we take to be ready for eternity. It's challenging. We just have a poor view of eternity. But God knows that eternity is longer than our lives and that the thing that we need to do is to be ready for our eternity is to have our sins forgiven. Our sins must be dealt with. Our sins must be atoned for. It is that critical. Our sin is the greatest problem that we would ever have. Everything else is temporary. And Jesus, as God, knew it and he's willing to do something about it if we trust him and that means this the best thing about knowing that jesus has all authority is not simply that we can bring everything to him but that he will do exactly what we need more than what we ask every time that we come to him with our problems Trusting in Jesus' authority is understanding that he is not only the Son of God, that he is omnipotent. He has authority over the physical and over the spiritual. But secondly, he is omniscient. He is all-knowing and he knows what we need even though we don't. That doesn't mean that we can't ask Jesus for the problems in our lives that aren't of a sin nature. We can bring our, our prayers and requests to him. The Psalms are filled with examples of David and others who are constantly crying out to God in their pain, to God in their suffering, asking him to do something. Jesus himself would be uh, facing the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane and he would, he would pray, Lord, if there's any way, take this cup from me. We would read then later on in the New Testament that Paul would tell all the churches that he, he wrote to that you can pray continually without ceasing bringing all your requests and petitions to God. Bring everything to prayer. Be in constant prayer. But Jesus in that garden would also say, not my will, your will be done. In other words, as humans... You and I, we always don't know what we need, and we always don't know what we need, when, especially when we're in pain. We just want the relief from pain. 
But there might be something bigger that we need more. And Jesus, his authority as the Son of God, is that not only is he able to meet that need, but he knows what that need is more than we do, and we can trust him that he will always do what is best for us exactly when we need it. That's a great feeling, to know that Jesus knows what we need and that he will always provide what we need. I remember when I was doing a home project, a home renovation somewhere. It might have been like a bathroom, uh, part of a bathroom uh, renovation or, or something else. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't have the tools. I don't have the skill set. I'm not really uh, inclined towards those kinds of home renovation projects. I, it's not my skill set or interest. I don't know electrical very well. I don't know construction or carpentry very well or woodworking, any of those things. But I wanted to do this project, and so I went to Home Depot, and I asked for help. I walked to the section I needed to be in, and all I had was a printout off of a website that said, this is what I want it to look like. And I had a picture on my smartphone, an early generation smartphone, I think the first Motorola Droid, so you can picture how bad the photo was of of the uh, current state of whatever that was like if it I can't remember specifically the project but let's say it was a sink here's what the sink looks like here's what I want the whole bathroom counter to look like help me get there and this salesperson could have taken absolute advantage of me and could have sold me the moon and I wouldn't have known better and they said here's what you absolutely need Here's the tools. Do you have one of these? Do you have one of these? This is helpful, but it's not necessary. You can use this instead. And they walked me through the whole project and helped me as I kept going back to the store saying, I ran into this, I ran into this, and I brought more pictures. And they said, no problem. Here's what you need. Here's what you need. Here's what you need. And they knew what I needed most when I didn't. That's the authority of Jesus in action. He is not just omnipotent, all-powerful, able to deal with anything we're facing physically in our lives. But he is omniscient and knows exactly what we need the most. And that's often spiritual. That's often eternal. That's often something that is breaking or preventing closeness, rightness, forgiveness in God's presence and he knows what we need and will do whatever it takes every time to provide what we need the most. That's what he'll do for you and me. I know that sometimes it's hard to bring our, our requests to Jesus, especially when it's a less than satisfactory answer. But because Jesus is God himself, the Son of God, he has authority. And he can do what you and I need. He has power over our physical needs. And he has authority over our spiritual needs. You and I can trust him that he'll always provide what we need the most exactly when we need it. As we wrap up this morning, let's uh, consider some questions. If you're sitting around your living room and watching this video as we wrap up, discuss these with your family and friends. Uh, or in your growth groups this week, your quest these questions will come up. Here they are.
Question one. What specifically comes to your mind when you think about what Jesus has done in your life? Do you think about something spiritual or something physical? Question two. How can you encourage others and perhaps yourself to fully trust that Jesus is always ready and able to provide what we need the most? Be encouraged today to bring your problems, no matter what they are, to Jesus. He'll always provide exactly what you need the most. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is difficult sometimes to pray, especially when we don't hear the answer that we hope to hear. And yet you have demonstrated in Jesus Christ that one of the joys of following him is that we can trust him not only because he's all-powerful, because he's omnipotent, but because he's omniscient and knows in all ways what we need the most. And what we need the most is to be right with you. What we need the most is to be righteous with you and not only to have uh, a right standing before you, but to live out of that right standing. Lord, we need that the most in our lives and you're always working to accomplish that. Even if that means physical discomfort, physical trials, physical tribulations, in order for that our faith in you would be refined to be able to trust you no matter what comes because you are a God who is ready, willing, and able to do what we need the most. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we bring our prayers and petitions to you to continue to pray, to not give up, but to trust you that not only can you make a difference, but that you will do what's best for us. You always have and you always will. Help us to trust you as we give our prayers and problems to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.